Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who like to use a lot of words, yet say nothing at all. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, welcome to Wood Talk number 335 for November 15th, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about oil and wax finish for a butcher block, wall storage in a concrete walled shop, and starting a business. And uh, we also like to thank folks at the top of the show, folks who helped us out over at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash woodtalk if you'd like to have your name read and get some sweet bonuses. But these folks helped us out. Uh, Corey Swanson, Sid Carrier, Brian Brazil, Todd Alstrom, David Provost, Provost Evan Cor- Korjalak, and Joey Greer. Thank you so much, folks, for helping. We always appreciate that. And uh, you can, too. Just go to patreon.com slash woodtalk. And let's get right to it, guys. What's on the bench? We're recording a day late today. And it's my fault because I moved and there's boxes and uh, things to unpack and trying to figure out how we're supposed to live in a new place. (laughs) It's always fun, exciting, interesting, (laughs) and confusing. Um, Don't die. Yesterday, I just could not find my microphone, had no idea where it was. <laughs> and and here's the problem. We, you know, and you know how it is, like, if I don't know if you guys have moved recently, but bottom line is boxes are like the thing, the kind of thing you just can't justify spending money on, right? So you're looking for someone who has boxes or someone who recently moved, you know, find them on Craigslist or whatever. And uh, all of our boxes were recycled. So it was uh, a question of whether my handwriting was more noticeable than the previous person's handwriting. So something was that was labeled board games wound up going into the basement in sort of a catch-all place instead of, uh, you know, Mark's important Mac things is, is what I <laughs> labeled it as. And I spent hours and hours looking for that damn microphone and finally found it. So that was the reason for the delay. I just could not get the, uh, the podcasting setup going, but, um, so I guess this just kind of jumps right into what's on the bench for me. Uh, not a whole lot, obviously with the move and, uh, I, I am set up. We're able to record. My levels are all wacky. I can't really hear things very well. So if you hear me going, eh, eh, then, uh, it's that's the altitude. It, it's yes. It's altitude sickness. That's yeah. happening here. Blame the altitude for everything. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, on the woodworking side of things, 
Um, we've only been here for about four days now and I've already had the sub panel installed in the garage, uh, because I ain't messing around and they, they bring all your stuff already. No, actually, see, here's the thing. I I would have been upset in any other situation, but I had planned for these people to deliver yesterday. And uh, that's what was on my calendar. That's what I told them. And that's what should have happened. Well, I called them yesterday and I said, hey, are you guys coming? And uh, (laughs) I said, oh, we're uh, we're leaving on Wednesday. We'll be there on Thursday. And in this case, that was fine because we still had stuff in the garage that needed to get moved out. Like we're so behind schedule. Uh, and the, the guys were doing the electrical work yesterday. It just would not have been a good situation. So thankfully, you know, sort of fortuitous that it went this way. Um, they are coming out on Thursday. So I have enough time to get the garage ready. Uh, and I'm not going to really expect to set my tools up at this point. I have no idea what I'm doing. Let's just get the tools in there, pack them up, give me room to walk around a little bit so I can get to certain things. And, uh, and then I, I just, I'm having actual, like, um, a lot of stress about figuring out what is the order that I should be doing things. So like the worst, right. And I mean, and especially, I mean, uh, Shannon, in your situation, it's, it's, you know, probably a little bit better because you don't have as much in the way of power concerns. Um, right. so locations of things are, are not quite as critical. Um, but there's an order of things that have to happen here. So I've got the sub panel in, I don't have any outlets run because why would I run any, you know, receptacles if I don't know where anything is going? Uh, I don't want to put lights in yet because I'm not a hundred percent sure where my dust collector is going to be and where the, the, where I'm going to route the duct work. So I don't want that to interfere with the lighting. Um, I also want to put in a subfloor and that subfloor will likely have some outlets in it. And I'm thinking about radiant heating in that subfloor. Um, and I'm going to have to do like the whole two by four sleeper thing to level it. Cause there's a, there's a pretty substantial slope in the garage that I definitely want to adjust for. And uh, you know, of course all this stuff has to be done after the tools are going to be in the space. And I have an idea of where I want things to go. So just trying to figure out like, like laying floor while you have massive power tools in the, the way. The only way to do it, man, is to like to do half the, the space at once. Uh, yeah. At one time and then move everything onto the, you know, <laughs> finish them it. up onto the floor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be nuts. I really don't know how I'm going to accomplish it all. So uh, trying to figure out what to do when, which comes first, what comes last. Um, that's what I'm trying to wrap my brain around. But I did know getting a sub panel was the first thing and then probably getting some sort of a uh, heating solution in there is the second and you know, then taking it from there. So it's, it's going to be a process, but sounds like an excuse to have a Rocky mountain guild meetup. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I think it does. Uh, Well, you know what? Here's, here's an interesting thing that we, I kind of asked in our little mastermind group on Facebook about this. Um, This might be a good topic for like a, a weekend show or something, but talking about like security and one of the things that, you know, Nicole's very, um, concerned about is how many strangers we have over to the house. I love it. How he blames Nicole. <laughs> no, trust me. Like I've, I've gotten over it a little bit and, and I see the value in having people come over. Cause I've met some really cool people, um, and having them stop by. I mean, people are usually pretty harmless, you know, when it comes down to it, but ultimately, you know, when, when your shop is attached to your house, it's in the garage, uh, just inviting strangers over, you know, it's kind of a a scary thing. So like when I asked our little private mastermind group what they did, and it was almost split down the middle, a couple people were like, ah, I don't care. I have people over all the time. And the others are like, no, I absolutely do not let strangers come over. I I suggest, Hey, let's go meet up at a a store or a coffee shop or something like that. 
So now that we're like, then there were the people that answered, "Why well, people over all the time?" Or at least I used to, because this one guy showed yeah, up. Yeah, then this one guy showed up and <laughs> asked my wife out on a date, and that didn't go yeah, well. I think that I think that was Jay Bates. He's like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, they used to come over all the time. Now not so much. Yeah, not so much anymore. <laughs> yeah, it, that's a, it's a tricky thing, you know. And now that we've kind of sort of reset and we've got a bit of a clean slate it's a question of well do i or don't i and i don't think i don't think nicole wants me to so i think we're we're gonna have to like really stick to people who i have an established like rapport with someone who i i trust and have had enough contact with that i feel comfortable literally inviting them into my home you know so that's that's probably what's going to wind up happening with that um interesting side note though because of i guess our dealings with the realtor at a certain point um we didn't really know, like when we tried to buy this house, the realtor is actually our neighbor. We didn't know this going into it, but he's the neighbor. So I think we were pretty heavily vetted in terms of like, do we want these people in our neighborhood? Wow. (laughs) So the other realtor, uh, eventually, you know, found out what we did and wanted to find out like, like what, what are they about? How, how, like, what do they do for a living? And, And they found out about the wood whisperer. So within the first five minutes that I pulled into, uh, we're in a cul-de-sac, which is really, really cool. Um, but I pulled into the cul-de-sac and within five minutes, I knew more about my immediate neighbors in five minutes than I knew about my neighbors in Arizona after like seven years. People people do not talk in Arizona. They do not talk at all. And I had the warmest welcome from people. And this guy's introducing me as the wood whisperer which was <laughs> really weird, <laughs> extremely. Oh, so wow. my whole like, Hey, I'm going to lay low because I don't want to, you know, anger my neighbors by making noise or whatever. Um, that whole laying low thing is kind of out the window. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But the good thing is everyone seems to be excited to have a, a woodworker in the neighborhood, which I guess is, is a oh. good thing, right? They'll be a little more tolerant. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Well, like at, for me. Yeah. Wait till the requests start coming in. Like, you know, so I have this desk and uh, I was thinking about getting a replacement or like the refinishing requests. Those are fun. Right. So, well, that that can be the new milestone. The Wood Talk Patreon. Yeah. Mark's neighbors ask. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the Mark's neighbors show. What are people requesting this week? So, yeah, super excited, um, you know, but still just trying to get things together. Like. If I ever make, if I can ever manage to convince the wife to get back west, I'm kind of wondering how I'll respond to that like open and friendly Western attitude. Yeah, as compared to the East Coast, don't talk to me, don't yeah. look at me, don't make eye contact. You know, I'm, I I might be a little like, what are you doing? Get away from me! Quit asking me questions. <laughs> right. It does it does take you you know aback a little bit if you're not used to it. Um, but yeah, that's it, it. Was a little shocking to me, and I don't know what the deal is. Whether it's the weather, maybe it's just my neighborhood uh, in Arizona that that people the just weather. didn't talk. <laughs> well, I mean, that's I don't mean like it makes people crazy. I mean, people <laughs> hide in the house. <laughs> people hide in the house for a good portion of the year because it's just too darn hot to go outside. So it leads everybody to be just kind of like hermits. But anyway, so I'm looking forward to hopefully getting the shop in some, you know, some sort of order. I am documenting as much of this as possible um, because it is an interesting process to get this sub panel in. Thankfully, they they didn't have to do a lot of holes. They did like seven holes, but they were all in one location where they couldn't get the wires through this like vaulted portion of the ceiling. Uh, so in my um, in Mateo's room, there's like seven holes in the ceiling uh, that need to be repaired now. But that was it. And that's running from like one corner of the house all the way to the other corner of the house. A run to the, the master um, panel to get a 125 amp panel in. So I can't complain. Five, uh, you know, seven holes for a 125 amp panel is uh, is just fine. <laughs> I'll deal with that. Nice. Yeah. So moving forward, um, Shannon, what do you got going on? 
Well, <clears throat> I got laid low by some sort of nasty virus mm. and uh, ruined my weekend. That's why I got the Barry White rocking today. Yeah, baby. But, uh, I, I've been um, <laughs> I've been tripping over scrap wood now. Uh, I did my whole what? When? Let's see. When did I remodel the shop? I guess it was a little more than a year ago now. Mm-hmm. So there's the answer. How long does it take till the scrap overruns the shop? <laughs> you clear it all out and. The problem is, is I keep a lot of scrap that I would otherwise throw away for like demonstration purposes, you know, mm-hmm. doing hand tool school stuff, how to cut a tenon for this or deal with this. So I just grab that extra little piece of, of off cut. And I have I've been kind of holding off on building some scrap storage just because I kind of thought, well, if I do that, then I'll just throw more stuff away or I'll burn stuff or give it away. But it still hasn't worked. I've got scrap piling up in like every corner of the shop. So I got to figure something out. And, you know, like one does in the modern Internet age, you just throw it out there. Hey, right. what do you guys use for scrap storage? Why was that a mistake? <laughs> really? <laughs> it's, it's like going into a forum and saying, how do I sharpen this? Or, you know, oh, yeah. my God, I've gotten more suggestions. And I shouldn't complain because there's some great suggestions. People have come up with some really cool ideas, but it is kind of funny. It's the whole, like, hobbyist woodworker curse. Like, the amount of time we spend thinking about little shop bells and whistles with not actually building anything. Yeah. Like the ingenious and like over-engineered, like Rube Goldberg looking scrap storage stuff that people have just incredible. I mean, one guy sent me uh, a picture of something and I honestly didn't like, I didn't read the subject line of the email right away to to know that he was sending me something about scrap storage. And I'm looking at this and I was like, I have no idea what I'm looking at. (laughs) I finally go back and read the email. It's like, Oh, scrap storage. So they didn't like, being informed of what I was supposed to be looking at. I was like, I started to pencil this thing out and he has these like wires and pulleys and things that open when you pull on this. Knob, this oh, man. Knob. It was like, it, was, it looked like a mixture of like, like the a fly house in a theater with all the little ropes and things that low raise and lower curtain. Is there a pulley that there. drops it from the ceiling? <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, no oh, my. oh. Pull the pulley down. The plywood storage like um, swings down like the leaf of a book. Yeah. And you can like, unlatch something and then the plywood gravity allows the plywood to slide out like one at a time. In other words, it's stacked so that there's like a fence and only the top sheet of plywood can slip past the fence. So it still looks a little scary to me, like you know, <laughs> gravity assisted plywood drop, you know, but, and then there's like another pulley that you pull that like lifts a, a lid, like a fall front type desk that accesses these different scraps. And he's like, my thought was if I put lids on it, then, you know, I would be forced to um, either cut stuff down or, you know, I wouldn't keep things that don't fit. And I was like, man, like this must have taken days to (laughs) engineer just to like write it all down. And who knows how long it took him to build. So it's it's just kind of making me laugh because I was just thinking, well, maybe we're just going to build a box and like put it on casters so that it like slides over into the corner. And some of the stuff people come up with or their shop specifically. Yeah. just makes you proud to be a woodworker, you know? Well, there's a lot of smart, like, engineer minded people and literally engineers who, who get into woodworking and and they can think of these clever things, you know, and especially with scrap wood too, because it's like all different sizes, all different species, but what's the one thing that you have to be able to do well with scrap wood, make it accessible. Yes. Or (laughs) find a way to burn it. (laughs) Um, You got to be able to, to get to this stuff. So just a giant bucket doesn't usually work very well. And then the fact that they're all different sizes makes that challenge, you know, uh, just something that I don't, I've, I haven't solved it. I basically just had those little vertical cubbies that I, you know, put the pieces in vertically, lean them against the wall and have some partitions and, you know, hopefully be able to find what I'm looking for. 
yeah, then again, I, I do the, like like Matt. I do burn a lot of my scrap in, in a smoke. Oh, totally. Well, that that was the first thing I did. Is I've been wanting to get one of those like backyard fire pits for a while. Yeah, that's the first thing I did. Is went out and finally got one of those. Nice. Because <laughs> I mean, there is some stuff. Let's just be real. It's just not worth it. You know, it's not worth keeping this around. And maybe it's the species. Maybe it's you know, I've got a lot of like little blocks of. I think Mark, you had this problem with the Maloof rocker. Like mm-hmm. a lot of thick, small blocks of wood. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I could maybe turn something with that. But like, then you look at it and it's like, well, the grain orientation is all wrong. It's just nothing but short grain. Yeah. So it's really to a spindle. You know, it's a perfect spindle shaped blank, except that the grain runs the wrong way. So it would be <laughs> right. a snapped spindle blank, you know, and it's just, <laughs> so finally you're just like, look, just burn it, just burn it all. Yep. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a problem. It's a very real problem. And I think the only answer is just have lots of space. So you can like segment it into various lengths and things. So that's how I used to have it in my shop. Mm-hmm. I had one whole wall that was dedicated like scrap and lumber rack. And I had like six different bends for like 12 inch, 24 inch, 36 inch long stuff. And it's just ridiculous because invariably one of the bins ends up being like empty. And like the 12 inch long bend is like spilling over to the 24 inch long bend. And it's right. Just, just ridiculous. Yeah. Nice. Just fight it. people. fight it and burn it or give it away. Yep. Gotta do what you got to do. What about you, Matt? Speaking of burning stuff, how's the log milling going? That's burning stuff. Yeah. Speaking burning of burning time. love, I feel like let's talk the money. It's all I ever talk about. Milling with uh, with a bucket going. It kind of is. You need to finish, please. Oh, I'm getting tired of it. To be you know honest, what? it's it's literally. <laughs> I'm sure you guys get this way with your projects too, but it's literally to that point where. I, I don't want to be doing it anymore. Yeah. I just want to be done with it. Yep. And honestly, if it wasn't outside and I wasn't like fighting the whole winter thing, I would have like stopped doing it and put it on hold for a while. Right. Well, it's really Matt, getting old. Matt, hold on. You have to back up and explain that winter thing to Mark. No, no. no. Well, here, you know, with my extensive winter experience, I think I might be able to talk you through this <laughs> quite honestly. I mean, I've been here for three days, so I'm I'm very familiar with it. I also brought my bought my uh, new Broncos sweater, so uh, go Broncos! I think you get your pants. I do have pants. I actually have pants on today. It's fantastic. I can send you some. <laughs> yes, yeah, so send me uh, any ones you've grown out of, please. They would they would fit me quite nicely, I'd guess. I like tight pants. <laughs> oh, that's a great image. <laughs> Let's do that, man. I'll take an image of me with some tight pants on. Alrighty, I, I digress. Please continue complaining oh, about yes. your bandsaw mill. Yes, you do. You do digress. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just working on it. I'm okay. to the point now where uh, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> yeah, I don't have much to say to be honest because it's like That's fine. People are following it. They'll see it on the internet soon enough. But I'm yeah. working on the raised lower mechanism right now. I have most of that installed. I'm just working on getting the motor set up to run those two Acme rods to make it go up and down. Okay, and then it's going to be pretty. That's going to be pretty cool. See that thing just like, it's like, I don't know how much the saw head weighs. Probably like five or 600 pounds. Mm-hmm. It's going up and down in the air. It's got six oh. feet of travel. Jeez. So it should be pretty interesting. That's going to be awesome. Cool. I'm, I'm just looking forward to the video. And even if this doesn't happen, I hope that you somehow orchestrate it. But I'm looking forward to the, like, okay, we're going to fire this thing up and all the build up and like throw in the drum roll and you flip the switch and nothing happens. Oh, I hope. I'm just waiting for that. And so, the expletives that fly. Like the Griswold there. Christmas vacation exactly. light moment. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling a little jinxed ever since Mark asked me about that one thing that might like throw us totally off. Now I'm like, that's like all I think about now. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Dude. I, I hope yeah. this works now. Because I'm like, this is kind of 
this isn't like a cheap endeavor, <laughs> yeah. like money and time. I'm like, when I get to the finish line, this thing better cut a log or else yeah. I don't know how to do it myself. <laughs> Dude, you seriously got to do the like joy to the world moment <laughs> with the with the plug into the extension cord. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing goes on. Oh, that no. would be fantastic. Or, or just like wire everything up, fire everything up and and, sh- and like turn it on and nothing happens and you go oh right i need to replace the the bucket with the actual motor <laughs> yeah <laughs> that would Those be good that on instagram he used a bucket as like a motor stand-in to be able to create the motor mount <laughs> right and that that image just sticks in my head of just this giant bandsaw mill with a bucket for a motor <laughs> well conveniently a five gallon bucket is the same size as the motor nice give you some idea of scale except it's a lot lighter <laughs> yeah yeah no kidding so I saw you did have a motor that you just kind of fired up real quick. I saw that on a quick like video on um, uh, Instagram. Is that the motor we're talking about here? Yeah, that's it. The thing looked pretty big. It's it's yeah, it's sixteen <laughs> inches long and what like a foot in diameter, Jeez. something like that, about one hundred and fifty pounds. Yikes! It's dense. It's a beast. Very man. dense. Cool. All right, well, let's move into what's new and uh, got some articles and things and videos and stuff to share. I actually put this in here just now because I, I didn't want to forget it. Um, I was not really interviewed for an article. Like I had a couple of questions were asked because the article is not about me. It's about somebody in uh, Portland who made uh, one of the projects from the guild. So the the person who was writing the article contacted me and, and there's like a couple of quotes in there. So I'm mentioned in the article, but it's uh, titled a sentimental Thanksgiving table. I made it says novice woodworker. And this is on the, uh, OregonLive.com. So I'll put a link directly to the article. You could see some pictures. The guy made the uh, gaming dining table, uh, made a nice version for himself and a pretty good article by Janet Eastman, who was the the lady who contacted me. So check that out. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, it is cool. I like it. You're like kind of a big deal now, huh? Sort of. I'm a footnote in, in someone else's article. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> you, you have a few leather bound books. I've How made it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a few. <laughs> uh, so I threw this next one in here. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the channel Maker Size. Uh, that's run by Kressel Anderson. He's making a metal lathe, and he's making all the parts for it. Mm. So he's literally casting parts that need to be cast. Wow. And machining things that need to be machined. Every single part he's making, cool. which that's is hardcore. Hardcore. And I'm like, I'm making a sawmill, but I ain't going to this length. I'm not casting my own wheels or making my own motor or anything, but he's doing it all. So it's really cool to see the whole process. Like, oh, you can actually literally cast your own faceplate. Did that last week, which is something I, I don't know if I'll ever do that, but it's not that hard looking, to be honest. It's still kind of nuts. Wow. wow. It is nuts. points toward the I just, zombie apocalypse. I just make there. furniture. <laughs> it seems so boring compared to like you guys making your own tools. <laughs> it really does. These dang makers, they're making us woodworkers look like, like you know, unskilled. Yeah, you got, you got to make stuff that fits into other stuff and turns other things and then plugs into a, like an outlet. And I just build tables. <laughs> you know, like, it's so rudimentary, like a caveman. <laughs> caveman woodworking. Well, here is a, a, a video from Glenn. He said, I, it's a nice, relaxing video of an Asian woodworker making a very cool bench and a nice, clean design. And it is a very cool video. I really enjoyed watching it. Although I, I'm not sure about the cross-grain situation the guy created. I'm oh, really? That, yeah, well, it's one of those cool designs where he um, takes two logs um, that have kind of a curve to them and flips them so that there's that little negative space in between on the inside of the curve. Right. And he joins them together kind of like an intarsia like look thing. So I'm, I'm huh. thinking that the expansion and contraction will be picked up by the gap in the middle. 
but the gap isn't that big. Yeah. And he like drops the whole bench top down into like an H frame notch. Um, but it's really not that big. So I don't want to overstate the, the wood movement thing. But the mm-hmm. funny thing is, is Glenn sent this video said there's a, um, it's very relaxing until the completely unguarded spinning table saw blade of death shows up around the 153 mark. <laughs> nice. And it's it's just one of those things where he says it all boils down to whatever tool you're comfortable with. And this guy is using it to cut out um, butterfly splines, and he's got a, a little jig made up for butterfly splines. So he obviously cuts a lot of butterfly splines. Mm-hmm. But it was just one of those things. He's right. It's very relaxing, and then suddenly, oh my god, the spinning blade of death. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Hang on to your shorts, people. Yeah. There's a nasty blade in there. For sure. Well, still. well, speaking of a, a sort of cut that made me a little bit nervous to watch, even though it was probably you know perfectly fine, uh, we got a video here from Kyle Toth, and this is a one of the coolest, like sort of, it reminds me almost of um, some of the stuff that David Marks does, uh, where he just takes it to a whole different level. So you have to watch the video to really understand it, but imagine making two two rings basically, right? A a large ring and a small ring and they're both completely segmented, you know? So the whole thing is like just incredible construction wise. Uh, but then what he does is he cuts the rings in half and then glues them back together in such a way that they intertwine one another. And I'm talking, I didn't actually watch this link and we're talking about the right video here, right? Whoever put this in there, (laughs) just make sure I didn't put the link in there. What are you talking about, Mark? You have to talk about something else. Seriously? Am I? Segmented double Taurus. <clears throat> Hold on. I'm, I'm right. checking. I'm just I'm checking myself because Matt's being a, a turd burger. <laughs> yeah. Weather. Okay. That's what it is. <laughs> so, all right. It's really cool. I thought cool. that I had to actually listen to Mark, you know, to make sure that he was talking about the right thing. Yeah. I, I just didn't have time to preview everything, but that's the video I saw recently. So I'm thinking it must be what he's working on right now. But anyway, he glues this thing back together, smooths everything out. And it's one of those things that if you didn't see how he did it, you would be like, what the crap is this? Like, how in the world could he have possibly made this thing? Uh, but it's absolutely incredible. So you definitely want to check it out. And uh, the, the cut that I was saying would make me nervous was when he had to cut them in half, he put the rings down on a uh, sled on the table saw. So I had to get the blade kind of high to do it. And this thing is a ring. So securing that to the fence is a little bit of an ordeal to make sure that nothing moves. So imagine you're, you know, cutting that with a table saw blade to go straight through. And he had it fully secured because um, obviously if it's not, that cut is no good. And then it makes that joint that much more difficult to uh, put together. Uh, but he pulled it off really nicely. So definitely a, a serious work of art with some good craftsmanship there. Mostly this video just makes me want donuts. Mm, but there's lots of shots that look like like the assembly line of like a Krispy Kreme or a Dunkin' Donuts. Right. Some Everything little donuts on trees. Yeah, you always want donuts. That's what this Let's is get about. Get some donuts. Where's my and donuts? It makes me think like I need more spring clamps in my shop. Mom, more donuts. Kyle like must have 300 clamps. spring clamps. Yeah, he does. Cool. Uh, Kenny's trying to get out the window. By the way, might want to stop. Yeah, him. he does that a lot. <laughs> He's got, another, he's got a person to save again. Uh, Go out. All right, so let's get into our kickback. I have a voicemail kickback here that we can listen to. There it is. Hey, fellas. This is Pat from us, State New York. Got some kickback for you. Just listen to your number 234, the tool buying advice. And I also listen to the Reclaimed Audio podcast, number 153, selling out. And I don't know if it's coincidence or not, but Phil Pinsky just started a website it's calling a maker tech review and it's all about having makers and people that actually use the tool call in or write in and do their own reviews 
which he's going to bet and whatnot. So just thought you'd find that interesting. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right. Well, nice. Sure, guys. Take care. That's Thanks. pretty Bye. cool. Uh, that's not a coincidence. Phil actually called me. He said, Mark, do you have any great ideas uh, that I can do this weekend? And I was like, yeah, Phil, just go uh, make a tool review site that you can uh, vet and make sure they're good quality reviews. He said, thank you very much, Mark. So uh, where's that check, Phil? Uh, that actually is not true at all. It, has, it was just a complete coincidence, but that sounds like a great idea. Oh. <laughs> I will uh, hopefully be able to find it. MakerTechReviews.com, I think. I'll put a link in the show. Yeah, notes. do that. I want to check it out. Now, that's actually really good because we were just talking about the difficulty in, in going through these reviews and you don't know the person's situation on the other end and whether you could trust it or if, uh, you know stuff like this that has at least some level of, of vetting to it is, is pretty cool. All right, so the, these other two, I don't know who wants to do the kickbacks, but... You guys can each take one. Okay, I'll go. Um, this is from okay. Tommaso, just because I, I like to say He's Tommaso. I know. How come you always get his? I wonder if that annoys him. I don't know. He's like, can someone else just get my question or kickback so that they could just like my name? Let's <laughs> move on. Right. Come on. <laughs> All right, Tommaso. <laughs> there, um, that's even better. <laughs> totally mispronounce it. <laughs> that's so spicy. <laughs> that's so um, spicy, Tommaso. He says, I think you guys might have missed the combination of the two forums and in person. He's talking about tool buying advice. How many forum discussions lead to what's on your shop? Oftentimes when in the market for a tool that isn't brand new, I'll come across forum posts of people talking about their shops and giving those long-term review of tools. And like Shannon pointed out, it's really important to know that a tool is going to be reliable and useful down the road or what issues some has to overcome to get there. Yet it isn't in person, but it does save on travel time. Hmm. That's, that's kind of what I said with the shop tours, right? It's like the forum <laughs> version of a shop tour video. Yeah, we did say that. So Tabasco. we sort of said yeah. that, Tabasco. Listen better. <laughs> <laughs> listen better, man. Listen I like better. how we ridicule people who listen to the show. That, that, that's, <laughs> that's really good for building an audience, <laughs> I think. <laughs> we love you. Keep writing in so you Shannon keeps saying your name. Yep, we'll always give it. Oh, hey, there's a neighbor walking a dog. People do that around here. Do you know that? Walk dogs? It's like a Colorado thing. They go outside and they walk dogs in tight clothing. Oh man, your life is changing. It's really weird. I, did you see my beard? I did. It's, it's nice. almost almost where yours is. Although I did this in three days. Um, well, you know, you're more manly and whatnot. <laughs> I guess cetera, it's just more testosterone. What can I Obviously, say? That's that's measure so of manhood. <laughs> I, I've got four days of growth going on and I don't even look like I have anything. Yeah, you look like you just shaved this morning. Such a 12-year-old boy when it comes to facial hair. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, Matt. I oh, think you got the, the uh, next one is from 
This next one's from Don. It says, I cut off small pieces from large panels using an L fence. As Shannon would say, it's stupid simple. I actually double stick tape a street scrap. Street scrap street of wood? Scrap of, what's a street scrap? Can I read that wrong? That's supposed to be like that? A straight so, scrap, I think. Okay, all right, we'll go straight. That's a scrap that uses a lot of street slang. <laughs> Very street wise. <laughs> Yo, I'm a piece of wood over here. Like, I'm pretty sure you guys go in here and change words for me, so I screw up reading <laughs> That's probably what happened. Shannon did that. <laughs> I actually double stick tape a straight scrap of wood to the panel on the line, and I just run that against my offense, which. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, which is directly above the blade, so I can so you can easily cut off a sixteenth of an inch and not have to worry about anything getting pinched between the blade and the fence. I keep a couple of scraps of different lengths laying around my shop just for this reason. Hmm. Very I nice. I have an I formation offense, but never an L formation. Offense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the power L. Someone's messing with me today. That, that I think that's... Made, it's been made popular in the Big East conference. Yes, hmm. evidently. Uh, all right, let's get to a voicemail. Got one here from Nate. There's a second one, but man, Skype makes it difficult to like track what's going on with these voicemails. Uh, and I did not preview this, so hopefully he doesn't curse. Hey guys, it's Nate Brown in Nashville. Uh, I have a question for you. I've been joining up more cabinets of late. Um, most of the time I'm able to kind of get a nice square out of a simple, uh, setup. But I've been doing, I have a few of these enclosed cabinets, and I'm having, I'm struggling a little bit with getting it where, and just curious, I, I know of a bunch of methods, I seem to be failing at them, um, but yeah, I just, I would like to get better. Um, I'm, I'm on your guys' sites also trying to find uh, your instructional videos because you guys did a killer job, but just was curious to hear you talk about, you know, Maybe it's one or two fundamentals, one thing you think I may be overlooking um, in my process. I'm not creating these, like, mangled-up, terrible-out-of-square things. They're just not good enough for doors, drawers, um, to, to be beautiful. Um, and I'm spending more time trying to fix my mistake than I probably would if I got it right <clears throat> in the first place. So... Thank you so much for your guys' show. Thank you for the time you guys give all of us. Uh, really is a light of my week. And yeah, you're the best. Hmm. Are we? At least Nate thinks so. <laughs> I like Nate. Let's Nate's a good guy. He, he sounds like someone we could be friends with. Call him again. Next um, week. Yeah, thanks for that, Nate. And I'll tell you what, dude, that was one of the things that frustrated me the most. When I first moved to Arizona, started taking on jobs, one of the most common things that I had to do was just simple cabinetry. Like uh, some woman wanted a dog food pantry um, as a standalone thing. It's just this giant, you know, like eight foot tall pantry with big doors. And you would think this is like a fundamental, simple thing. But if your ends on these pieces, these plywood cabinet sides and doors, if it's not square, it, it's just, it's one of those things that drives you crazy. And I would do like, you know, a classic method. What, what, what do you think you would do? You would get a big square and you would use that to line up some kind of a guide for your circular saw and you would make the cut. Uh, or if it's a smaller piece, you know, use a sled at the table saw, but that's limited in its capacity. So I, I had the same problem for a very long time. And this is the reason why well before the Wood Whisperer, well before sponsorships were involved, I sat down and decided whether I could afford to buy a Festool MFT. 
the MFT basically, I mean, it does a lot of other things, but uh, at its core is like a flat panel saw. So instead of, you know, taking up a huge wall of my shop for a traditional panel saw, I went for something a little more smaller scale and it solved my problem. So once that thing is locked in to make square cuts, I could finally get to a point where I could set it up, make a cut and then do repetitive cuts as well. And I just can count on it like anything else. Once it's calibrated, at least for a period of time, you can count on it being square and not having to constantly double check yourself. And it solved so many problems for me. And it honestly uh, made money, like made the money back in no time at all because I was saving time and I was getting better results and I wasn't chasing, you know, making the piece shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter as I keep trying to get the end square. And then great. I have a second one that I have to do and make redesign, it exactly the redesign, same. right? Exactly. <laughs> oh, you wanted that a little shorter, didn't you? Cause that's what it is now. So it really saved me money and eventually got to the point where it paid for itself. So not that, you know, I tend to be the kind of person who solves a problem by buying something, you know, and I'll, I'll readily admit to that, but I don't think this is steering you wrong. I think it's a great tool and it solves that problem because aside from that, do you guys have suggestions other than just, uh, you know, a large square, like maybe the, the big woodpeckers framing square that they just brought back as a second time tool, if you will, uh, or like a big uh, drywall square, something like that, that you use to, to make the cuts or line, at least line up a jig or a sled or something. I've, I've heard, I've heard a lot of, you know, those drywall squares are not all that good, but I've never had problems with mine. I mean, I, I don't trust it implicitly. Like I, I've checked it to make sure that it is square. But obviously, the bigger the square gets, the more flex you could have in the metal itself. So, you know, you have to be careful that um, you're uh, applying pressure like to the far end of that T-square just to make sure that it's not sliding around on you. Um, The biggest thing I'll say is do not trust the factory edges on your plywood. Do not assume they're flat and definitely don't assume that those corners are square. Um, And I've fallen into that trap many times because you figure, oh, well, I'm cutting out a case side let's stack it down here in the corner. So then I only have to make two cuts, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. good. And invariably the problem that crops up later is because of that, that dang factory edge. Is really good right. point. Yeah. Cause even if your square is square and you're referencing from a factory edge, you may have inconsistency from piece to piece and you think it's you when in fact, it's actually the fact that you don't have a good edge. Good point. Yeah. Very and that's true. another question though, Right. That someone is likely to ask if you don't have a bunch of, uh, you know, extra festool equipment and tracks laying around. How do you get that first straight edge? You know, because a lot of times you're going to want to do that on the eight foot length. I mean, again, solved by a giant festool track, but but investing in that allowed me to start everything with a perfect edge and then go to the next cut from there. But I guess I mean, you can make your own tracks for your saws, too. So, yep. Use the same concept. That's true. So that's true. I mean, one out of edge on there shelving material. Use, yeah, you can do that with anything that's relatively straight. You can use it as a straight edge. You can do that with a circular saw or a router. The straight bit just get nice and trimmed and cleaned up. Yep. Uh, another big thing with doing stuff like that is making sure your parts that need to be exactly the same size are indeed exactly the same size and are actually the same geometry and don't have like some kind of variations in different directions. So, like the, if you're off by one degree on the top right corner and the other the other side on the left corner whatever is negative one degree well that's going to be all goofy and even hard to get your piece together to come out square yeah or if one's longer than the other one then you're going to have the kind of slanted top thing going on definitely not going to be square so i think i think it really comes down to like figuring out your process at the beginning to figure out exactly how to set yourself up for success at the very early stages of your project which is getting all your stuff cut to size yeah 
Yeah. Well, to break that down a little bit, you bring up a really good point. If you, let's say you have two cabinet size or something, if there's a possibility of there being a one degree angle, you bundle those pieces together and cut them and mark them in such a way that you always have the fronts on the same mm-hmm. side, you know? So if it is one degree off, it might not have as much of an impact as if you, let's say, reversed it, and now you've got one degree off in both directions, um, <laughs> putting them so that they're in sync with one another might actually at least sort of disguise some problems or make things fit a little bit more consistently. Uh, all right. So if you want to leave us voicemails in the future, definitely do that. We love the voicemails. Uh, you can get us on Skype at uh, username Wood Talk Online, or you can call 623-242-5180, or you could uh, just send us a voice message thingy from your phone. Uh, just use your like notation app or whatever, your little voice recorder audio app, and send us an MP3. That's always really good uh, quality. What's our email address? Wood, WoodTalkOnline at gmail.com? Question mark? Exclamation point? Comma? Uh, yeah, I think it is. WoodTalkOnline at gmail.com. Okay, you guys ready for emails? Okay. I'm burping. Sure. Okay. So Matisse, I guess that's how you pronounce that, wrote in. Uh, He says, I installed a new maple butcher block countertop in the kitchen two weekends ago and have been oiling it with food grade mineral oil every few days. Hitting it with a little bees oil, I guess. I don't know what bees oil is. Probably like a wax oil mixture two times a week. I'm still not seeing a vaguely water resistant finish on it. Uh, Not waterproof, but I'd like to be able to have a drop of water stay on it for 30 seconds without a noticeable water spot. Should I be looking at trying to get more beeswax into it? Maybe rubbing a block of wax across it, trying to burnish it a bit? Is there a butcher block wax oil blend you guys have had luck with? All right, so this is one of the reasons why I originally started to go down the let's explore what varnish can do in a cutting board while still trying to make it safe and still have it function as a cutting board. You know, because one of the things that... Uh, the properties of a cutting board and that makes kind of gives the sort of antibacterial properties to a wooden cutting board is the wood. So if you then coat that wood with, let's say a resin, like in a varnish, does it still have the same properties or does it then become something more like a plastic cutting board? Right. So my compromise was to use a very diluted varnish to initially put that in there and seal it up a little bit. So it's not completely sealed, but partially sealed. So it will still absorb liquids, but it does buy you that little bit of extra time. So that said, that's the reason why I went that path, because I saw the same issues that Matisse is seeing with, with the, um, it really not being very protective. Um, so you just kind of have to decide what's right for you. Uh, in this situation, he's already got that stuff on there. Now you're kind of limited because once you put that mineral oil, which never cures, and uh, the, the wax mixture, it's not like you can easily switch from that to something else. You're kind of stuck with it. Uh, my recommendation, again, I don't know that it's going to work for him <clears throat> to go this route, but instead of using mineral oil, which never cures, try an oil that does cure. There's no reason you have to use a you know mineral oil. You could use tongue oil. You could use a pure blendseed oil if you wanted to. Um, Tried and True is a brand that makes great polymerized oils that are still um, perfectly food safe, but they do eventually dry. And you could sort of add them coat after coat, and you do start to build up a little bit of water resistance there. Right, so there are options that I feel are a little bit better than that. But again, once you go down this mineral oil path, it's so hard to move to something else. So I would say move more toward the waxes. There are butcher block waxes out there where it's basically like 
I don't know exactly how it's made, but you probably take some oil and some wax and a, a a lot of wax. You mix them all together, boil it up, but a higher percentage of wax in there, and it basically makes a spreadable paste that you can then uh, rub into the surface. Uh, and you could do that repeatedly. And that should build up a finish that at least will give you some more water resistance. Um, but I think on your next project, maybe look into some of these other options or maybe over time switching over to a drying oil and see if that will give you better results. Hold on, I'm going to drink. I'm going to drink now, Matt. Okay, good. <laughs> sure. Drink out of my uh, leg lamp cup, which is awesome. Wow. Very you. Isn't it though? Because I like, why? Because I like fishnet stockings. <laughs> That's also new now that I'm in Colorado. Uh, I like fishnet. What can I say? Fair enough. There's not much much fishing down there in Arizona, is there? (laughs) Not really. (laughs) I'll answer the question now. Uh, This is from Randall. (laughs) If you want to, I mean, we got time. We can keep going down that path, you know? (laughs) Let's. (laughs) All right, so this one comes from Randall. He says, I've been woodworking since uh, 15 and never had the opportunity to start a business, but now... That I do, I don't know where to start. Is there any advice that you can give me? Uh, starting a business is a pretty big undertaking. And honestly, the biggest piece of advice I can give anybody that wants to start a business is to write a business plan. Because writing that plan is going to force you to confront all the issues you're going to have to face with starting your business, getting it up to a point of being operational, and maintaining it and growing it into the future. So especially if you haven't had any business experience in the past, it's really going to take you down that road of, oh, these are things I have to actually consider. And these are the things that I have to like worry about. And this is how I'm going to get customers. This is how I'm going to market myself. This is how I'm going to pay myself. This is how I'm going to structure the business. This is how I'm going to buy tools, etc. So I would say going down that path, there's books, there's uh, videos, there's articles on the internet um, about writing business plans. So I would say go that way. So uh, Matt, did you write a business plan? I wrote one in college, but I got it up here. <laughs> it's all up here, baby. <laughs> all up here, baby. I did not write a business plan. Shannon, did you write any business plans? Yes, I did. Did you really? Yeah. Or are you just not, saving face? Not like before I got started, though. <laughs> I wrote a business plan last year. It still counts, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. You're a nerd. It was, it was a very it was a very good move. Um, yeah. To just kind of step back from a 10,000-foot view, look at what I've done, look at what I want to do. More importantly, what are my goals? Like, you know, my goal is to do this full time. So what does that look like and how, how will that happen and how will that be sustainable? Yeah. It was a very useful exercise. Well, and the thing is I, I kind of, I don't know, I come from a slightly different perspective when you're trying to really bootstrap a business and move forward and you look like, if you ever look at what a sort of an official business plan is supposed to have in it and you're just starting out, there's a lot of questions that you can't really answer. And you really have no idea other than I know I need to make this much money a month to survive, you know, so I I actually find them to be very daunting so that it's someone who is starting out. I mean, hey, going out on your own and starting a business should be a daunting prospect. If it's not, you might not have thought about it enough, right? But there's positive daunting things and then there are sort of negative daunting things. And and I don't know, the business plan struck me when, you know, cause of course we looked at it and thought like, Hey, we should, shouldn't we be doing a business plan? But every time I looked at it, I'm like, this is stupid. I'd rather go and make something and try to sell it, you know, and just kind of see if we can't move forward with this. Now that said, my woodworking business did not succeed. Uh, if I didn't start the wood whisperer, I'm not sure. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd, no, I would I be doing this, this. Works really well. 
I yeah. the business folded. <laughs> yeah. Now you want to talk business in terms of uh, marketing, product selling, education materials. That's something that I, I excel at at this point. But running a successful, like strictly woodworking product, you know, production sort of business was something that I struggled with. I, in fact, I have an article on my website that says why I don't offer woodworking business advice <laughs> because I don't want people to get the false impression that I have a successful woodworking business and I don't. You know, so anyway, it's kind of funny. I've, I kind of just like crapped on my own point here because maybe if I did a business plan, maybe I would have done better, <laughs> right? So anyway, I don't know, but I do still fall on that side of like, sometimes you just got to like rip off the bandaid and just move. And a lot of times those business plans can, can stop you from moving forward because they're just intimidating. The reason well, I, I recommend it is because it really gets you down that road of, things you wouldn't most people probably don't consider if they don't have any formal business background yeah. or training. So it kind of, you don't, I wouldn't, I guess I'll back up and say you don't have to necessarily write a full out business plan, but at least do the research to kind of spend a little time thinking about like how I'm going to get to that goal. Yeah. If my goal is to make this amount of money. How much revenue do I need to go through all my costs to end up with that net at the end? Right? Yeah. It's a little bit of a look before you leap sort of simplicity there. Cool. Yeah. I like it. Sounds good. <laughs> I that. like it. That was fun. So anyway, <clears throat> Tony wrote in and uh, he said, um, first of all, he said, hey, guys, I love the show. It's always nice. Thanks, Tony. Um, I, I've learned much by listening. On your last show, you talked about T111 in the shop. My question is, I poured concrete walls in my basement where my shop is. Any suggestions on how to utilize my wall space? I just hate to keep drilling in my concrete. Thanks again for a kick beep show. <laughs> he didn't. I don't know. Is that a curse? I don't know. Eh, it's one of those marginal ones. You could say ass. All right. Thanks again for the kick ass show. Kick ass. Kick ass. Um, I recently got hand slapped at work for listening to Wood Talk for 12 hours straight. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> and that is why I read this question. Nice. Uh, Who cares about the concrete thing? That part right there. You just got to give now, the guy some credit. That, that was worth yeah, it. He took one for the go, team. Tony. It was worthwhile. Um, Thanks, Tony. I, I had a similar situation here. It wasn't poured concrete, but it was block, um, concrete block all along one wall of my shop. And I was using concrete anchors and, and those Tapcon blue screws and everything. And they hold great. But after a while, you're like, am I drilling too many holes? Like, <laughs> what's happening to the cinder block and or the concrete? The more holes I drill in it, probably fine. But it just ended up being a problem. You know, I had to pull out the hammer drill, pre-drill the hole, which made a god-awful racket, and then use those specialized screws and everything eventually I ended up hanging plywood on that wall and it's, it's a little bit more work for just that one project, but you get to the point where it just makes things so much easier. So um, if you put up T111, it's probably, you know, you could put it up right against the block wall. If you wanted, just using adhesive, I wouldn't recommend that. I would recommend furring it out a little bit. In my case, I used two by fours, but I turned them the other way so that the four inch surface was against the block wall so I had that two inch space between my uh, plywood and the block wall. I used uh, construction adhesive and a couple of Tapcon screws just to secure those studs. And I put them in there on the typical 16 inch on center spacing. And then you can put your plywood or your T111 or whatever. And what that gave me is in my case with three quarter plywood, I could run a screw through the three quarter inch plywood and not have to like run into the, the block wall behind it had a little bit of space behind it, or I could just work it directly into the studs. 
And then I had, you know, really, really uh, a lot of bite to the three quarter inch plywood and then the, well, one and a half inch thick stud, which made things a heck of a lot easier. So it's a project in order to make things easier in the long run. Mm-hmm. I think you could probably continue to drill into that concrete, but especially poured concrete, you never know. Like, is it going to chip and make a whole bunch of dust and all that stuff every time you're drilling into it? And it's it's just difficult enough that you're like, yeah, I'll do that later. And you don't end up hanging whatever it is. Or <clears throat> now, now that I've got the plywood up, like, I don't even hesitate. You know, oh, I need something there. There goes a screw in the wall and I'm, I'm good to go. Right. Um, and it was just, it was the best thing I ever did. Not only that, is it looks a lot better than the poured concrete wall. Mm. So much nicer. Cool. All right. Well, and I think that the- some people will say, depending on how much moisture you have, you might want to put a vapor barrier down, whether that be, you know, one of the barriers that you put up or just the, the vapor barrier paint stuff. That's what I did. I painted my block wall with that. Um, I don't remember what it's called. I just dry lock detail. type thing. Dry lock. That's what it was called. Yeah. Not a bad idea if you're going to have a little bit of moisture in there. Right. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Well, I think that does it for the show today. We are about to record a special email extra for a $4 and higher patrons. So again, patreon.com slash woodtalk. Go there, get set up, and you will get a full RSS feed that has the regular show and the extra shows and the weekend show all in one place, which is kind of cool. And we're going to talk about how we handle project disasters. Uh, Someone sent us a question about that. And uh, we'll, you know, we can actually prepare for how Matt's going to handle the disaster of his bandsaw uh, situation, <laughs> right. right? Maybe get to give him some ideas and kicking <laughs> some coping mechanisms. <laughs> um, Rocking in the corner. Yeah, exactly. So if you want to support the show, of course, patreon.com slash wood talk. You can also go to the uh, TWW store and pick up a wood talk t-shirt. You can leave us a iTunes review. Just head into iTunes, look us up and click on ratings and reviews. And uh, let's see, we got one here from the show remarks is the subject. Great podcast. Can't wait for Mondays. Great job, guys. Uh, the best one out there from Rob Tosh. He says, uh, let's see. I've listened to many woodworking podcasts, but this one continues to deliver quality content. MMS. Thank you for taking the time to put this out. Cool. Well, thank you so much, guys. We appreciate it. So leave us a review and we might read it on the show if I'm feeling so motivated to do so. And uh, Shannon, why don't you give him the contact info and we'll get out of here. Okay. If you have comments, questions, topics, suggestions, need an address to send fishnets to Mark, there are several different ways that you can do that. <clears throat> Leave a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Our voicemail line is 623-242-5180. Or you can use our contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. Or just go to our website and leave something in the comments for this particular episode. Again, this show is made possible through the generous support of all of us. Yeah. Patreon.com slash woodtalk. Thank you to all our Patrons. Patrons. Yes, patrons. A uh, quick Patreon thing. Patrons cool with the patrons. Yes. I should have mentioned this earlier, like at the beginning, but uh, I am using Instagram stories to like ju- document a lot of stuff as it's happening in the shop. So if you want to follow along with that, not posting it anywhere else, it's super easy to use Instagram stories. So uh, look me up on Instagram and you can keep up with uh, the latest. You can see it live as it happens. And you can watch my beard grow by the second. I'm look right now. Go look, man. You, I actually took some video of the holes in Mateo's room. and uh, I think I did. Uh, and the, the guy's putting the, the sub panel in and everything. So pretty cool stuff. Uh, all right. So we will catch you next time. Actually, we'll see you on the weekend show. Have a good Yay, one, everyone. weekend show. Oh, yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.